The Cinesnob Podcast is brought to you by Alamo Draft House. Coming up in January, Cody, on uh, Sunday, January twenty fourth, twenty sixteen, to be exact, at Alamo Draft House West Lakes, a Monty Python and the Holy Grail quote along. Have you ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? I have not. I haven't seen any Monty Python. I don't think completely. I've that, seen bits and pieces. That's the uh, the one that uh, got me started. I mean, I'm not a big Monty Python fan otherwise, but I remember uh, seeing Monty Python and the Holy Grail on Comedy Central back in the day. Hmm. Uh, the early 90s is the day, as far as I'm concerned. Um, this is a uh, quote along, of course. Um, one of my uh, my favorite DVD extras of all time uh, is the uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail DVD. Uh, special edition that came out, I want to say about 10 years ago, you play it and it starts out as though it's another movie. Mm -hmm. Like uh, it's like uh, the happy dentist or something. And it's something that was completely shot just for this DVD. Like a lot of work went into this 30 year old, 40 year old movie at the time to fake people out with a Monty Python joke that they didn't have to do. It was nice of those British guys. Don't you think? I mean, I like British humor and British comedy, and so I've always wondered if I would take to it, but I just haven't tried. One of my favorite stories about the movie is that uh, <laughs> they uh, they basically ran out of money at the end, and uh, so they didn't have an ending for the movie, so they just had everybody get arrested by the police, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a like it's a King Arthur Arthurian tale, and then the police just show up and arrest everybody, and that was the end of the movie. That's pretty funny. Anyway, this is uh, Sunday, January twenty fourth, twenty sixteen. A quote along Alamo Draft House Westlake, six thirty p.m. There's going to be a lot of uh, knights who say knee there. Uh, that's a, that's a quote from the movie. You, you might have heard that one. I figured. Yeah. Anyway, uh, get your tickets at drafthouse.com. Let's go ahead and start the show. This is the Cine Snob Podcast. So, Cody, uh, Christmas brought us a new Deadpool trailer. It did, and I had to awkwardly scanter off uh, in the middle of my family to go watch a rated S- R violent trailer. Scanter? I don't know. Is that a word? No, but I, but I like it. Skitter? Skitter. <laughs> sachet? Yes, I sacheted out of the room. <laughs> it was really, really tasteful and elegant. It, uh, I picture it like a kind of jazzy uh, uh, Broadway walk, like you're leaning back and you got a hat like tilted over your head and you're like shaking it slowly, mm-hmm. like you're tipping a fedora. Yep. Anyway, what would you think of the Deadpool trailer? You know, it's great. Um, and I was thinking about this. We talked a little bit about it as we were watching it because there's kind of this internal debate that I'm having over what kind of commercial success it's going to have. And um, I don't know, you know, with something like Kick-Ass, it did okay enough to get a sequel, but it didn't really do gangbusters numbers. But um, they seem to be pushing Deadpool heavily. I don't know if you watch any basketball on ABC, but they had Deadpool commercials, which, again, very weird to me for such an adult thing. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We're talking about the trailer. Um, It's great. I actually like how they used alternative lines from the first trailer, um, different jokes. So like there's the uh, – there's like, like the, calling – what? I was just going to say that all the T.J. Miller stuff I think was brand new, wasn't it? 
Uh, the T.J. Miller stuff was too, and then he called. He said something like "angry Rosie O'Donnell" in the first one about Gina Carano, and this time he said "Jose Canseco," which is a funnier joke to me. Oh yeah, um, I I I was a big fan of it. I think uh, they're this is the first time they're they're blatantly tying it to the X Men. Yeah, obviously Colossus was was in it was in the first trailer, I think, but this is the first time they mentioned the X Men and. Uh, and the fact that Colossus is part of it. So I think that'll help its success. I'm curious about the R rating. Like if it's just violence and cursing, I think it'll do okay. Um, I think, I don't know if there's nudity in it. I know there's a strip club scene. I don't, I don't know that that means nudity. I think that would be the one thing that would keep wide audiences away. Cause you look at something like, like guardians of the galaxy and it's pretty, pretty kind of dirty sometimes i mean there's a jizz joke in there they, yeah they say dick several times uh i mean it's not that scandalous to me but i, I don't know I'm, I'm curious about the success i think uh i think there's a lot of goodwill toward this movie and i think the marketing has been pretty well done well and and, and they're they're spreading heavily all of the red band stuff so i think they know what they're doing yeah. um they're not they're not trying to bamboozle people into seeing something and then throwing a rated r thing they're, they're pretty unapologetic about what this film appears to be um but I, I like you know it's got it seems like the violence is really uh really intense and gory and um clearly you know they had a lot of fun making this uh and there's a lot of good jokes in there so i'm i'm really curious to see you know i've i've been wanting a really good r-rated comic book movie for a long time and i think that seeing stuff like daredevil um, on Netflix really kind of, you know, made me want it even more to see like this, uh, comic book stuff that is 100% geared towards adults. Yeah. And I, I think there's a, there's an audience for it and I think there's a demand for it. And, um, well, especially after, it. especially with Deadpool after they got it so wrong, uh, whenever it was that the Ryan Reynolds first played the character in X-Men origins, Wolverine. Uh, this is a character that people have, have been itching to get right. And it was just, done blatantly wrong back then um so i think there's a lot of a lot of pent up pent up deadpool uh anticipation i know i certainly know a lot of people that i, I was never a big fan of the comic book but but well, i like certainly I, know a lot of people that are i mean like you've been around the comic-con here it's like the deadpool is the most popular costume at least yeah. in san antonio at I, I think uh i think deadpool and harley quinn are the uh the two most popular costumes going right now and that they're both getting big screen representations next year that people seem to be really into already is a, uh, is a cool new step in the comic book world thing, comic book film world, I think. Well, I think that Fox maybe, I mean, you would think they would have their finger on the pulse, but I, I mean, I think Deadpool is a lot bigger than even they might think. Yeah. I'm, I kind of, I kind of agree with you there. It, it's, um, he may not sell like kitty action figures like Spider-Man or something else, but, uh, but I, there does seem to be a bigger kind of nerd fan base. Like you don't see people dressed as Wolverine yet. Hugh Jackman's in every single X-Men movie. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I, I do think, I, I think Fox may have finally righted its ship with this superhero stuff. Let's after they went ahead and burned off fantastic four. I think, I think they're hopefully in the taking, giant steps in the right direction at least deadpool looks like it well and that's assuming that it's good you know well right right that's the right. big that's the big question mark is is, is it going to be any good or is it going to be you know polarizing like kick-ass was 
Uh, yeah, I was never a fan of either Kick-Ass. Um, speaking of uh, Christmas stuff and movies, did you get any movie stuff for Christmas? Um, no, I, I, I didn't really. I saw uh, Star Wars again on Christmas. Um, you didn't get any Blu-rays, a stack of Blu-rays or anything? No, I mean, I bought myself some Black Friday Blu-rays, and, and that was my gift to myself, really. Well, that was but, like a um, month ago. Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm at the point where I don't really get gifts anymore. I just get really? gift cards. Yeah. Oh, see, I don't like I don't like getting gift cards if if I ask for something specifically. I got a uh, the Aladdin Blu-ray. That was a one I'd been wanting. Oh, that's and, cool. And I got that 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 badass art of Star Wars, uh, the Force Awakens book. Hmm. Um, I haven't really had a chance to dig into it yet, but there's some cool there's some cool things in there. One of the things that uh. That and I've seen making this making the rounds with the Star Wars stuff breaking all kinds of records this week. Um, there's sketches in there of the Force Ghost of uh, Anakin Skywalker that never really got out of the concept stage. It was him like merge with Darth Vader, which mm-hmm. would have meant that Hayden Christensen would have been brought back to play him. Uh, which I'm curious how that would have gone over with with star Wars fans because people are so burned by the prequels. If this movie that's been widely embraced by star Wars fans featured one of what's considered the worst part of the prequels, how would it have been received? Yeah, that would have been really interesting. <clears throat> but, uh, um, yeah, I you, just quickly on the force awakens watching it again. I, I think I liked it more the second time I watched it. Um, I agree. And, uh, not only that, but I, I messaged you, I messaged this to you, but, um, Man, that John Williams score is so good. You know, I really like it too. I've seen a lot of people uh, not as fond of it. Really? Uh, they think that it's that it's okay, that uh, that it doesn't really measure up to the other other prequels. I think Ray's theme is fantastic. Yeah, the the Ray theme is good. And again, you know, now you said that they said that it didn't measure up to the prequels. Well. I mean, or the original trilogy. The original trilogy, but even uh, the Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace has that amazing, amazing duel of the fates. Um, I'm sure I mean, you've heard it. I know you yeah. haven't seen the movie, but uh, the difficulty of in comparing to the uh, trilogy is because that's. I mean, it's such an iconic thing that you can't really recreate that. Um, although the Ray thing, and I've noticed. I don't know if you. I'm sure you did, but the, that Ray theme that initially happens pops up over and over throughout the film, and it's such a great callback to it's very harry potterish uh yes yeah well, i mean you know john williams wrote the first harry potter movie score the theme that of course got you know used over and over again he didn't i think he either only did the first movie or only did the first two i can't remember which ones but it's very uh tinkly and christmasy sounding weirdly enough uh but the, and i've been having a lot of arguments on the internet about uh who ray's parents are yeah, because the movie is pretty clearly pointing towards Luke Skywalker. Mm, spoiler. Oh, if you haven't seen, if you haven't, <laughs> yeah, seen, who hasn't seen this by if now? If you haven't seen this by now, you're you don't give a shit. Can you imagine if you were like, I no spoilers, and it's already been like a week and a half? Like, yeah, what are you doing, man? Like, are you sick in the hospital? There's. It's always fun to watch. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's always well. Whenever you there's a movie that you've seen that has a big moment in it, and you're in a theater full of people who haven't seen the movie yet, uh, it's kind of fun. And uh, and I don't know if you've experienced that with the um, with I mean, have you seen it how many times? Two or three? Two. I was gonna try to see it Christmas Day, but we when we went to the theater, I was kind of surprised 
I mean, I don't know why I should have been, but it, I was kind of surprised that it was sold out. Like you couldn't just walk in and buy a ticket. You had to buy it several hours in advance. Yeah. Again, it set another friggin' record on Christmas Day. Um, it's the fastest film ever to reach a billion dollars. Uh, I wonder. I wonder what it's going to end up domestically. I don't know. And to think that people, uh, people were kind of skeptical. Do you remember there were all kinds of think pieces written? Oh, what, like whether it would beat out Jurassic World and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it has a distinct advantage um, in that that uh, opening at Christmas time, it just gets to dominate for a solid month. Yeah. You know, because nobody's well, throwing anything. Nobody's throwing another blockbuster at it. And it also has that ex- uh, exclusive IMAX window for an entire month, too. Oh, yeah. Did you see it in uh, 2D or 3D? I've seen it in 2D both times. I saw it in 3D, and uh, one of the things that really bothered me, uh, this, now that I think about it, the first time I saw it, I saw it in 3D. The thing that, that bothered me that was strange and off-putting was the crawl. Like the oh, crawl yeah. in 3D, that was weird. It didn't feel right. Like it's, you know, you know, here's something you've seen your whole life, a different version of it. And then it, all of a sudden it, it's portrayed differently. I don't know. It didn't really stand up to the 3D treatment. And, and then I don't, that's the only thing I remember about the 3D thing. That's why I just don't care about 3D. So, yeah, I mean, post, we all know that post-conversion 3D is just pointless. It's fine. It's certainly not as bad as it was. Uh, that. Clash of the Titans was the poster child for bad post-conversion 3D, if you remember that. Did you ever see that? I did not, no. It was like the worst muddy worst muddy 3D ever. Um so I I don't I couldn't justify seeing it seeing it in 3D other than the fact that I I don't know, for some reason that was the only ticket that was available opening night. But yeah, it's um it's fastest movie to ever make a billion dollars. Doesn't show any signs of stopping, really, and there's nothing to stand in its way. Can I can I just say too, <clears throat> both of the times I've seen uh, this movie, it's been at Alamo Draft House. Yeah, and the the experience at Alamo Draft House is like so much better than anywhere else, just because like now they've implemented their like the skip the line option. Have you used that? No. So so literally, because so before, what you had to do when you bought tickets online was you had to go to the box office and get them printed. Yeah. Now you just download a PDF to your phone, and literally you can walk in, sit down, show them your phone, and you're in, and that's it. Nice. Uh, I bought my ticket when I went uh, – my the draft house showing, the first showing I saw at a, at a Regal, um, which is just a normal movie theater, you know, uh, at, the, at a mall, which is a weird thing for me. That's been a thing I haven't done in a long, long time just because all of them in San Antonio closed down. Um, but the draft house ticket I bought, I think I bought back in October because I got the pint glass. Yeah. I'm a sucker for those. Um, and it was a 9 a.m. showing on a Saturday. So I walked in and there was no line. So it wasn't really an issue for me to go get the ticket. Oh, and mm-hmm. I had to buy it because I don't know if you remember their servers crashed. So I bought it through Fandango. Oh, yeah. So maybe that was something else. Because their servers crashed because everybody and their brother wanted, rightly wanted to go to the draft house to see Star Wars. And uh, the demand crashed their servers. So they pushed traffic over to Fandango and that's where I bought it. So maybe that's a different setup. But they were selling merch in the lobby like it was a concert. 
Yeah, I mean it's it's just really it's really well done, and of the pre-show stuff is great, and like I <laughs> like I guess I guess they've been showing it at all around like the um the uh, voicemail PSA done with Darth Vader. Oh yeah, they uh yeah re redoing everything in the Star Wars theme was great. Yeah, uh, I didn't try any of the Star Wars menu. Was, no, I didn't either, but it looked interesting. It was like breakfast time for me, so I don't. Yeah, it was weird going at nine a.m. too, because in seeing people <laughs> order like all kinds of weird shit like at chicken nine wings, like chicken yeah, wings. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And I had chips and queso at nine a.m. And I even thought that's pushing it, but I was like, well, you know, it's it's like a breakfast taco, kind of. <laughs> yeah, we tried to go see it again at Draft House uh, when I was in San Antonio for Christmas, uh, but of course it was it was busy, busy, and we had places to go. So, um, yeah. Go see it at Alamo Draft House if you can. Not just because they're a sponsor of the show, but because the experience is way, way better. Way, way better. And like, like always, their audio and video stuff is always, and that's the thing I appreciate most about them, maybe completely, is that there's never any like audio video problems. Like, it's always perfect. Every time I go somewhere that's not a draft house, like I saw the, uh, at a Regal, which is fine. The pre-show stuff, I just totally miss having the fun. Like, I know going to the draft house, like, I'm going to see a clip from the Star Wars Holiday Special. I'm going to see a clip of C-3PO on the Muppet Show dancing. Uh, but you don't – I get commercials instead for NBC shows when I go to Regal. Yeah. It's just not as fun. Kind of like how people listen to this show and they get Alamo Draft House commercials. But, hey, it's always fun because we – Every time I ask you if you've seen a movie, you've never seen it. <laughs> I know. That's, and that's I the general theme. Hey, hey, Cody, have you seen this? Nope. And I try to meekly like make a joke about it, and you're like, meh, meh, meh. That's our routine. Yeah. Oh, hey, by the way, this is episode 72 of the CineSnob podcast, and I'm Jared Kingery. And I am Cody Viafania. And Kiko is probably uh, still delivering presents. Yeah, Kiko Claus. Kiko Claus. I wonder if he uh, – I know he went out of town for Christmas. I'm not sure if he's back. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. It's a question for someone else. But uh, suffice it to say, we don't know. So yes, uh, <laughs> we can confirm that we have no idea where he is right now. So uh, on that note, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. What do you say? I say so. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have The Big Short. Jared, it's chaos down here. Where are we? The seas are wet for there were no more worlds to conquer. Shane? Shane? Well, nobody's buying CD or mortgage bonds anymore, and everybody wants swaps. Swaps are now the most popular product on the street. That's good for us. Yes and no. I heard from somebody who heard from somebody. No, Alex. No. Sorry. Benny Klieger over at Morgan is taking out some heavy losses in the bond department. Yes. Might be time to get a life jacket and get out. I mean, seriously, I feel like I'm financially inside of you or something. Okay. I'm jacked. I'm jacked to the tits! Good. Do you feel it? No. Are you jacked to the tits, Cody? <laughs> Almost always. <laughs> okay, four outsiders in the world of high finance who predicted the credit and housing bubble collapse of the mid-2000s decide to take on the big banks for their lack of foresight. Foresight? That's, that's that word. Foresight? <laughs> <laughs> you almost had it. Foresight and greed. Uh, so this is uh, a movie that I saw, I guess, gosh, probably close to a month ago now. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was one of, my, uh, one of my favorites later in the year. 
Um, what did you think of it, first of all? Well, um, you know, I, I think that the um, you know I, I, I talked about this in depth on another podcast, which I'll talk you about. Later. Fucking whore! I know, uh, I know. But um, what's it so, called again? Go ahead and plug it. Oh, it's Wait, it's where? the In Session Film Podcast. Um, it's you can find it on iTunes and stuff, um, Stitcher. But but yeah, um, one of the things that kept popping up during that conversation was, first of all, um, it's it's impressive uh, that it came from Adam McKay, who we only know from the Will Ferrell partnership. Um, but it is uh, it is very, I, I you know I go back and forth because I think it's very um, competently directed. I think that it's got like directorial ADD in a few ways where McKay tries about a billion different techniques and some of them work and some of them don't. Um, you know, like, like for example, uh, the explanations featuring celebrity cameos that happened for the dense financial stuff, um, that works to varying degree in my opinion. Some of it's really good. Some of it I don't really care about. Um, but I, I think that the thing that he does best here is that he adds a sort of human element to the financial crisis. And um, the way I was describing it on the other podcast was was sort of like, it's sort of the anti-Wolf of Wall Street in that the Wolf of Wall Street took greedy financial people and sort of glamorized the lifestyle and, and the extravagance and the money and the girls and all of that stuff. Whereas the big short doesn't glamorize anything. Um, it actually shows you what happened in terms of uh, how these, uh, how some of these bank, uh, uh, I, I, what would you call them? Because the, they're the uh, in, like investment bankers. And, yeah, and how they took advantage of a of a really broken system. But there's a certain element of it that's like, like they're they're not proud of it, you know, and. Um, well, and, yeah, and they, I mean, yeah, they're they sticking see, it to they're sticking it to the banks who are sticking right. it to the world essentially. Yeah. Yeah, but and, and so the, what McKay is able to do really well is bring it back into a human level. And um, it's never gloating. It's never glamorized. It's kind of this is what's happening. And here's the context. Here's what it's doing to actual normal people. And um, there's a few scenes in particular that really hammer that point home really well. Um, there's a scene where Steve Carell is having dinner with someone who's kind of laying everything out on the table for him. And Steve Carell's character sort of <laughs> sees the underbelly of what's happening. And like he gets sick to his stomach, yeah. And I think that that's a great scene. Another scene is when um, Brad Pitt has those two younger guys with him, and they they realize that they just made a ton of money, and they start celebrating. And Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt's character gets like pissed at them and say, "Don't gloat about this. Like, there's a lot of people who are going to be losing their houses and all their money and savings." And 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 I think that those two scenes really stick out to me is is the point that I'm trying to make that McKay gets across really well. Um, well, I guess we should clarify that the uh, the gist behind it is the scam was that that these uh, these these investors were betting that people would default on their mortgages because the banks were just giving mortgages to anybody. Right. So that's why that's why the gloating and celebrating doesn't you know morally it's 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 taxing to at least some of the characters. Yeah. And uh, I, I think the performances are, are pretty good. I think Christian Bale's the best part of the film. He's really great. It's a really kind of interesting, nuanced character. 
Um, I, I like Steve Carell's character's function in the film. I don't know that I love his performance as much as some of the others, but it's fine. Um, I, I think that there are a few problems with it that I have. Um, you know, for, for what it's worth, it doesn't treat its audience like they're dumb, and it kind of gets into really dense um, financial talk, talking talking about things that I had never heard of and didn't understand. Um, and I think that at times it can get a little bit overwhelming. Um, they do try to explain it and bring it down to a lower level for people to understand, the every person to understand. But it is a little too much, I think, at times and a little difficult to follow. Um, like when they talk, start talking about subprime loans and all that shit. So, is um, that the one they explained with Selena Gomez? That one was okay. I think the Margot Robbie one was a little difficult to follow. The, the, uh, the yeah, the Margot Robbie one I think maybe didn't benefit from being the first one. Yeah, like it was weird. You were you're like, what's happening? It's like here's Margot Robbie in a bubble bath to explain. Well, and I think that I think that that's part of the the stuff when I'm talking about of ADD. It's 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 jarring. Some of the movie is jarring because they they switch techniques so many times and they try this stuff and they try this stuff and they do the cutaways to the celebrities to explain stuff. And I think that if you're not expecting it, and even if you are expecting it, it's a little jarring at times. And and I think that, I I don't know, I thought the editing was kind of funny a few times. I don't think that it's a particularly well-made movie, but I do think it's competently made, which is, I mean, all I could ask for from Adam McKay. I mean, not that he makes bad films, but this is a legit kind of awards contender prestige movie that's, that's made really well. I think it it it's um, it's greater than the sum of its parts at times. Uh, I don't think Brad Pitt really adds much. He, he's in another one of those roles, like in Twelve Years a Slave, where he's just there as sort of a a strange moral compass who happens to be played by Brad Pitt. Um, like there's a guy, you know, he's a guy that's gonna do right no matter what, and you're only gonna really pay attention because he's Brad Pitt. You you remember Twelve Years a Slave, where he was basically the the hero of the movie? Well, yeah, it's it's because he produced this one too. Right, right, and that's that's kind of a, a a frustrating thing because it just feels like the same thing again. Um, I I really like Steve Carell in this. I love his supporting cast, and I don't remember who those guys are. That, yeah, that, that are part of his firm. Yeah, that's that, those guys are all really good. Um, and I I really like his interactions with uh, Ryan Gosling. Um. I love that scene where, like, he, he first introduces kind of the Jenga thing, and he yeah. asks me, like, "What's it? What do you smell?" And they're like, "Your well, cologne? I don't know." And he's like, "No, opportunity." And they're like, "Oh, okay, here we go." I feel like Gosling's a little underused. Yeah, um, he's he he kind of is, uh, I guess, almost like the narrator, uh, or uh, I don't know what you would call it. He's the one that talks to the audience. And I like when they when they acknowledge that okay this isn't how it happened, but it made for a better movie that way. Like yeah, that guys... that was a nice touch. Um, and and one other thing I want to mention too when we're talking about Steve Carell is I think that his character more than anyone else serves as the oh, audience. Hold on, we have a we have a special guest. Do we? Welcome, Kiko. Oh my God! Dude. Oh, holy shit! Did you not get the memo that you set about the time? <laughs> Oh, he's in his car again. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about the big short, Kiko. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not on board with you guys. <laughs> You've been listening off air. Can you, can you just like hang up the phone? It's just like. <laughs> what? 
What, Cody? You're ruining our mojo by being like you just step in and walk in and just <laughs> derail everything. Why? Because I'm not agreeing with you that the big short sucked. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You... No, please go ahead. This is your show. No, I just, I mean, I, I didn't like it as much as you guys loved it. So, but so, again, I'm in the, I'm in the minority. Um, I yes, just, you are. Uh, you're, you're Hispanic. Why bring race <laughs> into this? <laughs> Lazy jokes. <laughs> I, uh, I, I found everybody's character to be a little bit um, too cool for its own good. Uh, a little bit too slick, like the wolf, like the Wolf of Wall Street was, except a little bit more fake. Um, that's how I felt about the characters. At least I remember you saying it more fake than Wolf of Wall Street. Totally more fake. I just oh, I thought everybody. I thought everybody was just a caricature of somebody else. So. Um, well, I remember you complained like, about it being kind of a, a Scorsese ripoff. Yeah, that, and then um, I don't know. I just I, I don't like any of the cute the things that everybody thought were kind of clever and cute. I just didn't find them clever and cute. So for me, I rolled my eyes at all the fourth wall stuff, uh, and a lot of people just ate it up, and I didn't. I didn't like any of the fourth wall stuff. Um, the only thing I really did like, there was that one scene with Carell talking to that one guy at dinner. Oh, yeah, Cody, uh, Cody already talked about that. Okay, well, that, that was the best scene of the movie. I really, really liked that scene. I thought it was pretty powerful. Well, see, I, I think... Got the, I think what makes the... that scene work is is the the arc that we see Carell's character go through. And what I was saying before, and because it's relevant, before you hopped on, was that Carell's character is sort of, uh, the, I, in my opinion, sort of the audience. And we're seeing everything through his eyes in terms of, like, we see his reaction to figuring out what's actually going on. And we see his disgust and confusion and all of that. And I think it's a really good representation of the general public and how they perceive um, everything that happened. I, I like to be, I, I agree with you on that. I liked it because I think it kind of culminates the entire idea of the movie. Uh, and that one scene um, kind of, you know, again, the, the whole disgust and, you know, being pissed off at these people that ultimately got away with, you know, what they did. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, you have, you have this one scene that kind of breaks that down into this, you know, into how he feels in front of this one guy. Um, but I don't know. I just, again, guys, I, I mean, again, I'm in a minority, but I just couldn't get on board with any of these characters. Uh, they didn't, I didn't feel like there was anybody really to root for at the end. Everybody was kind of the same kind of person that they were at the beginning. Um, it's kind of like, you know, there's, it's hard to like characters when there's nothing likable about them. I mean, maybe that was the point. I'm sure it was, but well, I don't. I don't think anybody was supposed to end up likable. I mean, they were all. They all knew what they were doing, and they all knew the the kind of moral. I mean, Steve Carell's character was sticking it to the bank, and still ends up being part of a, you know, something that crashes the world economy. See, I think that I think that it's a little bit different because I think that there's a there's a level of moral ambiguity that's happening the whole time, and I think that that's what McKay does is that you don't necessarily have to like these characters or what they're doing because it's sort of in a gray area because I mean, technically did they do, are they doing something wrong by taking advantage of a broken system? I mean, it's and and McKay lets you figure that out on your own. And I think that that is one of the strengths of the film is that they don't have to be these likable people, but yet they can have a, a conscience about them. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, 
I don't I don't think that that's necessary. But I also don't find them unlikable either. I mean, you know, Carell's character is abrasive, but he has an arc where he changes. Bale's character doesn't have much of a personality, but he's really entertaining to watch. So um, that kind of stuff didn't really bother me personally. All right, let's go ahead and wrap this up. What are your grades? Kiko? Uh, oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Well, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Um, uh, for me, I, I, I wouldn't um, recommend it. I give it a C plus. Cody? Uh, I'm giving it a B plus. It, it's so close to being... Uh, to being like a truly great movie, and it may still end up up in my top ten. Um, I, I just wish it was just a touch better, but it's still a B plus as it is. I, I'm at a B plus also. I, I I really enjoyed it, and I don't think that I knew going into this that this was a, a McKay movie, and it, it really did sort of surprise me um, at the end of the day, or at the end of the movie, at the end of the day, whatever it was. Uh, so yeah, B plus for me. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next movie, Daddy's Home. Vibrating up into my shoulders. Hey, it's okay, Brad. Look, she's a lot of bike, man. No, I'm good. Why don't you go back in and take that shower so you can get a shirt on? Oh, you got it. Hey, you look good on that, man. Remember, one down, four up. Just so everyone knows, one down, four up. Nobody got hurt, okay? I got hurt! Uh, Brad, just stay still. I'll get you. No, 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 no. No, don't do anything. Would you please just go and get a shirt on? Just calm down, all right? A mild-mannered radio executive strives to become the best stepfather to his wife's two children, but complications ensue when their freewheeling biological father arrives, forcing him to compete for the affection of the children. This is really overwritten for this dumb movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you didn't see this, right, Cody? Uh, just Kiko no. and I. Kiko and I had uh, pretty different opinions, so why don't you go ahead, Kiko? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know what it was. Maybe I was smoking something that day, but I found this really funny. I don't know if it was because just the uh, the dry sense of humor that some of the characters had mixed with a really broad sense of humor. Uh, but something really clicked uh, for me in terms of like uh, consistency and, and, and how much I laughed. Um, I enjoyed Will Ferrell and and uh, Mark Wahlberg together. I can't say I liked them as much as I did in uh, or as much as they uh, I, I didn't like them as much in the other guys as I did in this one. Uh, but there was something about the, you know, uh, mild mannered um, uh, stepdad against this um, kind of, you know, badass type uh, real uh, biological father that that worked for me. Um, formulaic uh, i guess there was a few things that were you know you know kind of been there uh, been there done that type of stuff um and it did lull in, in, in the middle uh, quite a lot but you lulled lol'd i lol'd and l-u-l-l <laughs> there are lots of lulls in this movie <laughs> uh but, but uh yeah so i think <laughs> i mean i'm just thinking of some of the uh, little hints i what the, the guy's name and uh, i can't remember his name the one that uh got Bill Cosby in trouble. Um, <laughs> Hannibal, well, I don't think he got Bill Cosby in trouble, but yeah, Hannibal well, Burr. I, 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 Hannibal I, I, Bur- think, I think Bill Cosby did it on his own. It's Hannibal, <laughs> his own. Hannibal Burris. Hannibal Burris. Uh, 
yeah, he's the one that brought it to light a little bit more. Um, he's the guy that ruined Cosby's reputation. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Hannibal Burris's character is the, the the dry dryness I was talking about. I I, I really thought that worked a lot. Uh, but apparently it didn't for you, Jared. There are some laughs. I'll admit the clip we played starts off terrible. Um, that's the one where uh, where Will Ferrell gets on the motorcycle, and then that terrible special effect kicks in. Oh yeah, that was that was a bad. But that ends with my favorite joke in the movie, where uh, Will Ferrell gets stuck in the wall, and it's stupid. Like he's stuck in the wall like a cartoon. But then it has the best punchline. Literally, because uh, Mark Wahlberg's character is like, let me help you out. And he just punches the wall (laughs) and it just punches through the the wall and it just collapses and and he falls out. I thought that was the best joke in the whole movie just because it was so weird. And I think that's the that's kind of the problem um, with the with the other guys. The other guys is probably uh, second tier for me with uh, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay films. I hate that movie. I hate that movie. It's it's a little too straight faced, um, but I think the the best parts of it, uh, you know, Will Ferrell of course again plays the the kind of straight faced nerd, but there's a weirdness to him that's missing, and I think that's that's what whenever Will Ferrell plays these straight laced characters like this, there needs to be some kind of undercurrent of weirdness, I think, for them to be successful. Otherwise, he's just playing a dopey dad, like in uh, the other guys how. He, how he he just like he didn't see how gorgeous and smoking hot Ava Mendez was. Yeah, he's like that bitch, uh, <laughs> my, my terrible troll of a wife or whatever he calls her. But uh, I I think it's really missing that, and because uh, then some some kind of like crazy stuff like the weird lucky streak happens to Mark Wahlberg's character, like he just keeps making money uh, as a voiceover announcer and. There's touches of stuff that could be funny. It just doesn't really ever add up to anything for me. Um, but I, I guess, I guess, yeah, I could, I could agree with that. I mean, there was a couple of things that added up. I like the way that uh, the whole there was a dance off sequence that re- w- could have been funnier than it was. But I like the way that they foreshadowed that, and I didn't see that coming. I don't know if you did, uh, but I like the you know how do you fight a bully? You dance, dance uh, your way out or whatever. No, oh, with the totally wasted Bill Burr cameo. <laughs> As an angry dad. But again, I think that that scene could have been a lot funnier. I don't know if it was Bill Burr's fault, but I think the whole um, thing could have been funnier. Uh, it, it's it's funny at times. Uh, it plays it a little too safe, I think. Um, I think it thinks uh, Thomas Hayden Church's character is is weirder and da- more dangerous than he is because he has all those crazy stories. But it just sounds like the same thing over again. Um, so, right. So here's a question I have. Yeah. Um, where I think we're seeing something weird with with uh, with Will Ferrell, where if he's not directed and working with Adam McKay, his movies are just like they're just not good. Like I think I think maybe the the best example of something working in the in the last few years was was maybe the campaign, but like, and I'm talking pure comedy here, but like that uh, like uh, the one that he did earlier this year with Kevin Hart, um, uh, Get, Get Hard was so bad. I didn't think it was bad. Um, it definitely had its moments. Like I, the, it just seemed to to uh, not really trust that Will Ferrell was funny too. Like that I felt more like Hart, a Kevin Hart movie to me than anything else. I don't know. When it comes to comedy and the word bad, it, I think I'm getting too soft 
when it comes sometimes when it comes to this kind of stuff because I just saw like a really bad comedy. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's bad and then there's bad and like ridiculous six. You guys got a chance to see it, but that, no. like that's bad. Like, and I, I don't think Will Ferrell's ever reached that low in his career before. I mean, even as bad as whatever, with a, you know, whatever movie you want to pick from his from his career. Night at the Roxbury. <laughs> Night at the Roxbury. Man, I would rather watch Austin Night Powers the on a loop than watch the ridiculous six again. You know, so I don't know. It's just, I guess, comparatively speaking. I don't know the word bad and comedy. I mean, I think I think he works best, and maybe that's just because I'm such a fan of it. I just think he works best when it's got that real hint of weirdness to it. Like even something, uh, even something like Blades of Glory, uh, which has a lot of weak spots. I really liked because Will Ferrell was just this outrageously strange character. Um, an ice, <laughs> what was he called? An ice devouring sex tornado. I, I really don't like that movie, so I don't remember. Oh, is it? Do you feel offended by uh, ice skating? No, I'm. I'm. I, I love hockey. What are you talking about? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying because it's ice skating's like weak man's hockey. Uh, weak man's hockey. Okay. I don't know. Look, whatever, man. I'm just trying to be funny here, and you're you're leaving me nothing. Just eat your chicken nuggets and I, look. They were chicken breast chunks. Okay. <laughs> I'm an adult. I don't eat chicken nuggets. I think I just think that uh, anytime he's not working with McKay, it's just you get the same Will Ferrell. Like there's funny stuff, but he's just kind of a weak, nerdy, nebbishy character. I don't know. I don't know what's. I don't know what to call it. But it's he's got, it's not a bad movie. It, it just feels like a knockoff of because uh, I, I like both uh, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg working together. I think Wahlberg's really funny. I think Ted too was not funny, but I think he has the ability to be really funny. I just think this was the little... happening. The happening was hilarious. <laughs> I do. Hilarious. There is some. Uh, there are some good jokes um, here and there, like when the I guess the climax of the movie when the new stepdad comes in. I thought was it was a decent enough joke. Uh, <laughs> that was a good joke. I but, just like when Hannibal Burris is just like there. Like, I like, like Hannibal. One of my <laughs> there's a scene, there's a scene where he just like walks into the house without asking anybody. Or like I don't know what it is. Hannibal but. Burris is one of my favorite comedians. Like when he's just standing around. Have you either? And you, that's all he does here. Have either of you ever sure. seen the Eric Andre show? I've seen bits and pieces. Hannibal Burris is the the sidekick, but there's not enough chairs. So whenever a guest comes to sit down and talk and be interviewed, he just stands beside them <laughs> and says stuff. That show's yeah. fucking weird, but... I'm hoping that we get some good Hannibal Burris and the Disaster Artist, which, by the way, the cast of that movie is insane. Yeah, I know you got a boner because Nathan Fielder is Nathan officially... Nathan plays Peter the Psychologist. Uh, anyway, so uh, what's your grade, Kiko? Um, I liked it. I- I'm going to give it a B-. minus. I mean, there's a lot of problems with it, but... I think ultimately the Pharrell and uh, Wahlberg. Pharrell. Pharrell. <laughs> Did I say Pharrell? Yeah. Yeah. Pharrell. Yeah, that's what you're uh, listening to in the car. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> uh, that, that combination uh, did our did all right with me. It's a it's a thumbs up in my book, guys. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with a C plus. I just couldn't quite get into it. It wasn't funny enough. Wasn't. Uh, 
didn't keep my interest. It's really short. Like it's just an hour and a half, which I guess is a kind of a blissful thing for a comedy these days. Cause wasn't sisters like two hours long. <laughs> sisters. I'm really bad. I'm really sad that we weren't able to talk about that shitty movie. I haven't seen it, but uh, yeah, C plus for me. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next movie concussion. What do they want? The NFL wants you to say you made it all up. I made it up. They're accusing you of fraud. If you retract, you'll be fine. This all goes away. Why, why, why are they doing this? They're terrified of you. Bennett Amalu is going to war with a corporation that has 20 million people on a weekly basis craving their product. The same way they crave food. <laughs> the NFL owns a day of the week. The same day the church used to own. Now it's theirs. They're very big. In Pittsburgh, accomplished pathologist Dr. Bennett Omalu uncovers the truth about brain damage in football players who suffer repeated concussions in the course of a normal play. Or normal play, not a normal play. But uh, you get the idea. Cody, what do you think? Well, this is actually a subject I'm really interested in. Um, you know, I'm a big sports fan, and uh, and I think that the concussion stuff is really interesting, especially in terms of the kind of stuff that the NFL is sort of famous for doing in terms of, um, you know, not doing very thorough concussion studies when they should have. And, uh, and I think that, you know, you'll learn more about this as you see the film. But... Uh, you know, uh, I, and also there's a really good documentary that Steve James made called Head Games that goes into it a little bit more detailed. But, um, you know, I, it's, it's one, of those, one of those things where you're like, oh, okay, finally someone's going to stick it to the NFL. Um, and then, you know, you start seeing commercials for the movie on NFL Sundays or whatever, and you're like, okay, well, clearly they're not going to go all out or the NFL wouldn't allow this. So what happens is a pretty a pretty tepid um, indictment of the NFL here. Um, I wish that this film had more claws than it does. Um, and it just sort of falls flat on, on a lot of accounts. And it's really, you know, it, it doesn't really take them to task in the way that they should be. And I don't know if it was because they were afraid or what it was, but um, it, it's really, it doesn't hit as hard as it should. Um, I think that the biological scientific part of it is actually pretty interesting, you know, as Will Smith's character starts to develop this new thing and, and, and discover it, um, I, I, liked, I liked all that stuff. I thought it was really interesting. Where the movie kind of falters is in a few different areas, but most importantly, this sort of American dream story uh, that Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell, what the, Will Smith, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> uh, that Will Smith's character goes through. Um, you know, I just think that that doesn't work very well. And, um, you know, Will Smith is, is good in this. He's, he's, he's very solid. Um, but uh, I just wish that everything hit a little harder and the narrative leaves a lot to be desired. And, and in the end... <laughs> I think we just uh, lost Kiko, by the way. Yeah. So. Uh, but anyway, in the end, I just, you know, I, I just wish that, you know, with a story like this and a chance to really put the NFL under the microscope in a big public way... I think that it just has no uh, no claws. You know, I, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think that the 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 claws are there. It just walks away too much to go deal with this other bullshit. I think it, it's it starts to turn the screws on the NFL. 
Like it starts to point out that this is awful. And then you go have to deal with them buying a house or all this other bullshit or whatever the fuck um, Mike O'Malley's villain character was supposed to be doing. Uh, just like twirling a bad mustache like he was just I, I don't I don't get it. Is that supposed to, is that a real person? I mean, I, I doubt it, but maybe. <laughs> anyway, uh, Kiko, what did you think? Um, I, I liked Will Smith a lot. I think that he was the best thing about this movie. I thought he was really believable as a doctor. Um, I, I don't, I don't like talking about like accents or anything like that. I mean, people are saying that it's not the real accent of the doctor or whatever it is, but, um, I thought he did a good job. Um, just overall, uh, I, I kind of agree with Cody in terms of that. It didn't hit the NFL as hard as it could. Uh, no pun intended. The, <laughs> I think that it still did kind of paint them as the bad guy in this song. And I don't see how anything like this could be good for their image. Um, I mean, it really uh, kind of, you know, breaks down exactly where they were trying to, you know, <clears throat> cover stuff up and, and, and things like that. So um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they are uh, allowing traders like that to go on uh, NFL shows or people that are watching the NFL. Um, but I guess uh, to a point, it, they've already... They've gotten to the point of no return where if they don't, you know, say that something is de- definitely wrong with this, uh, uh, what they've been doing, uh, it kind of makes them even look worse. So I think they're finally on board with the, the idea that, you know, they got to do something about this problem. So um, can, can I just add that I have a friend who was ranting about this on Facebook a few months ago and kind of legit thinks that this is a a thing that's that's being done to bring the NFL down. Have you have you encountered anybody that actually thinks that? Either of you? I haven't, but I mean, I I I, I can see how someone would think that. I mean, NFL fans that are, you know, I, NFL fans are weird in that sense where they, and you get some of uh, some of that in the um, in the movie. I think what do, what do they call it? The vaginate vagin is something vaginalizing oh i don't remember like an angry caller calls will smith's character at home and so then he's vaginalizing football or something (laughs) we're vaginalizing this podcast (laughs) thank you but uh but no i i think that i buy into that i mean i i don't buy into the fact that it's true but i buy into football fans thinking that they're trying to bring them down and you know it's 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 science you know it's it's one of those things that has been proven that blows to the head cause uh brain injuries which leads to all of this uh brain dysfunction the ct cte yeah the cte i remember uh frank gifford died about a month ago or so and he was an old man in his 80s and he donated family donated his brain to science and sure enough he had it too uh i guess it's difficult because it's one of those things you can only diagnose after death and I think that I th- and I think they touch on this in the movie. I can't remember, but I know that like when Junior Seau committed suicide, he left a note. Yeah. To check his brain for that. Well, and they all shoot themselves in the heart. Yeah. Like it's like they don't shoot themselves in the head. So yes. You can check the uh-huh. brain. It's fucked up. I mean, I I don't know that uh, what a solution to football would be. Well, and I think they should have taken them to task more because, if, as I understand it. They were the the big problem for a while was that the NFL was denying benefits to retired players who had this. 
And so they had all these problems after football, but they weren't being covered for it. Um, oh, like a pension? Yeah, or, or just paying for their medical stuff that they sustained while playing football. And I, I think that that's the subject of the Brain Games documentary, if I'm not mistaken. I've seen some documentary where that was the subject, and I think that they could have hit that way harder than they did. Hmm. And like I said before, I think that they don't hit them as hard as they can on those topics, but I still don't think that the NFL comes out looking all too good in this at all. I mean, yeah, they I, do some pretty sleazy things. I just think if it had, if it, the movie had been more focused, like if we hadn't spent so much time, um, you know, getting to know his family life or whatever, I think it would have been way better. You know, I, I it just would have hit harder. It could have been something like a you know, a, a real turning point in, you know, I, almost, I don't want to say like spotlight, but because that's a different sort of film, but just sort of like a, holy shit, how did this thing go untalked about for so long? Um, right. That's something that I wish that it would have done a little bit more is uh, talk about like why the fans, like you're talking, it would have been great to have like a character that was just like really gun ho about football and like, other than the call that they get, but I didn't really feel that outside, um, perspective other than from the nfl but like just the 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 importance of football in people's lives and why they some i'm I'm sure there's tons of people that believe in this uh cte and what it's doing to people but that just don't care they want their football and i think that's a big thing in in uh in in the culture right now that i mean these people are here to entertain us they should be doing whatever they uh can to do that uh, especially if they're getting paid these millions of dollars. And I, I think that it would have been an interesting uh, to kind of get deeper into that. Reminds me of big fan. You both saw, have seen that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big fan's <laughs> good. Anyway, uh, grades for this Cody. I go with a C plus to me. It's not good enough to be recommended. Kiko. Uh, I'm going to be minus uh, for this. I recommend it. I uh, just on the uh, performance of, uh, that Will Smith gives and, and the topic. Uh, I think that they really, uh, uh, they don't take the NFL to task as, as much as they should, but I think it makes uh, sends a sends a, a good message to them, and uh, uh, hopefully more people will look into it uh, than they did before. Uh, I'm kind of a disappointed, not disappointed, but I, I feel for Will Smith because uh, he he was on the you know might might have been nominated for an Oscar this year, but I think there's just a little bit too much competition this year. He might be looking from the outside in, maybe like in sixth or seventh spot. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm going to go with a B minus too. I was waffling between that and a C plus. Uh, I think the message is is good enough. Um, I think Will Smith is is good. I I just don't think they stick it two of them as hard as they can. The movie loses too much, loses focus too much for me uh, to to confidently recommend it. But I recommend it nonetheless. Uh, all right, so we're going to go through some uh, some other releases really quick here. Uh, let's start with Carol. We've all seen Carol. What do you think, Cody? You know, uh, every every year that um, there's some films that come out that are really highly regarded in the world of critics, and I just I'm, I watch it. I'm like, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> and I think that Carol is the best example of that so far this year. Um, you know, uh, I talked about this on In Session Film, which you can go download as well. Uh, but uh, are they, you are know, they paying us a, a royalty here? Or what's going on? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Pay for play? I don't know. But anyway, um, you know, the, the, thing, the thing about it is the whole movie hinges on a central romance between these two women. 
and um, the romance is just impossible to buy into for me. Um, it's a bunch of lustful looks. It's a bunch of like steamy glances, and like that's it. Like you don't buy into the fact that these women are in love with each other. And when you have a romance movie like this, and your central romantic relationship is not, you, you're not able to buy into it. Um, it just the, the whole movie falls apart. And I think that's what happens with Carol. I think it's dull, but I think even worse, um, it's supposed to be this passionate love story, but there's no passion behind it at all for me. Kiko, except for that one scene, except for that one scene, guys. Uh-huh. Yeah, which which everyone, yeah, which you were just waiting for the whole time. You're like, when's the other shoe <laughs> going to drop here? <laughs> no, I'm I'm with you. I I, I don't get it. Um, I mean, it's a freaking beautiful film. It's beautifully shot. It should win every single technical award that there is, except for um, you know, best visual effects, effects or something. <laughs> the ghost of Carol, best visual effects. Oh. Best, exactly. Um, <laughs> went to Carol. I don't know why. But like I really felt, I know it sounds cliche, but I really felt like I was transported back to that era. Um, but again, I mean, I didn't get the relationship at all. Uh, but I still think, I mean, there was something beautiful about it and like kind of like really um, adult. And and um, <laughs> there was a sex scene. Yes, Kiko. Yes, there was a sex <laughs> scene. Better sex scene than uh, Anom- Anomaly. Anomalisa. But anyway. I'll, but what uh, about blue is the warmest color? <laughs> Definitely not. What we about, uh, about girl, things, girl with the dragon tattoo? We're gonna we're gonna be, we're gonna be called sexist again, and that's not a good thing. <laughs> uh, okay, think think of a two dudes scene. <laughs> I, I, well, I just, Brokeback Mountain. You know what? Brokeback Mountain is a perfect example of uh, LGBT film that um, gets it right in terms of the romance. I mean, I really felt those two characters, you know, had something that uh, tangible there, and then this, it just kind of is there and doesn't really feel like much of anything. I mean, they, like, I think in my review, I put how long can somebody longingly look each other in the eyes before it gets, you know, repetitive. And that's again, really all they do. Um, but it's hard not to, it's, it's hard not to recommend a movie like this, uh, based on everything else that it's hard. It's hard for me not to recommend it, even though, uh, there's so many things wrong with the relationship itself. So I don't know. I'm I'm kind of torn on this. I was I was fine with it. I I guess one of my problems was I didn't really get uh, get much from from Rooney Mara's character. Like, is this was this a fling? Is this who she is? Is is this yeah. is, is she? How old is she? Frankly, because it's you know it's the 50s and you know it doesn't really translate. You know to modern times as to what, uh, you know, how mature someone is, you know, uh, obviously, uh, Kate Blanchett's character, Carol has been living this lie her whole life, but what's, what's Rooney Mara just to, you know, just a young girl she fell in love with. And this is a fling to her. It just, it didn't feel complete enough to me. And maybe that's part of the point. I, I'm just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I feel like, um, it just is kind of a relic. Like it doesn't feel dangerous to me you know what i mean like the the novel that it's based on was a groundbreaking same-sex romance novel here i think i think i get what you're saying but i but i think i'm looking at it at a in a different light which is that i don't think that it does a good job of relating this type of um same-sex relationship back to the 50s i don't think it says anything about the context of like how this was treated or seen back then and i feel like that was a missed opportunity to show 
you know, uh, a same-sex relationship in the 50s and what it was like. And, um, and other than the Kyle Chandler character who, you know, that, that storyline was more about the relationship, I felt, than, than the fact that there was something else going on. But I don't think that it does a good job of putting it into context and showing the danger of it or the... yeah. You know that, that that sort of thing. He All did right. a better job. He did a better. Uh, the director, you can remind me of his name in a bit. Todd um, Haynes. Todd Haynes. He did a better job with that specific uh, uh, part of the narrative in, in his last movie. That was kind of a, the same uh, type of film uh, in Far From Heaven uh, with Julianne Moore. I don't know if you, either of you seen it, but she it's kind of the same time frame. But she catches her husband having an affair or kissing a man, and the kind of the. Um, the, the the stuff that they have to go through after that revelation uh, comes out. Um, so I don't know. It just uh, it kind of felt like that movie, but a little bit safe on the safe side. I didn't feel like any uh, of the outside world was really making a statement on what we were seeing in Carol. It felt like an, an episode of Mad Men to me. Frankly, it felt like a like a like a B plot of Mad Men. Like it's. That was kind of a, a signature of Mad Men. It was not. It was kind of insular and, and, and contained. You know, it was, took place in hotel rooms and and you know someone's smoking room or whatever. So I, I see what you mean. Like it does, the outside world doesn't really seem to be influencing much yeah. at all. All right, grades real quick. Uh, uh, I'm still recommending it. B minus. Cody, uh, I'm I'm going with a C. Yeah, I'm going to go with a C plus. Just just not not really there for me. All right, uh, let's move on to our next uh, quick hit. We've got Youth. I think, Kiko, you're the only one that's seen that. So uh, Yeah, just real quick, uh, other than uh, um, the, the two lead uh, characters in this movie, um, played by Michael Caine and Harry Keitel, who do, do a fantastic job as, as these uh, uh, two older men uh, that are staying at a, 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 a spa in the Swiss Alps. Uh, one of them is a, um, uh, a filmmaker who's still working. The other is a conductor uh that is retired and basically they just kind of shoot the shit the whole time and talk about, you know, their past and, and what they've gone through during their careers. Uh, there's a lot of surreal things that happen at the spa, uh, that kind of throw people for a loop. Uh, this is by the director that won an Oscar a couple of years ago, uh, in the foreign language category for, for a movie called the great beauty, which I did not get at all. No, I, and hate I think that, that that's, <clears throat> and it won the Oscar and people loved it. It's an Italian film. Uh, kind of going back to like the uh, the old Italian uh, the way the old Italian uh, films are made um, uh, with a lot of spaghetti or, or, <laughs> and ricotta, oh <laughs> some anyway, malagotta. This is, kind of a, this is kind of along the same lines. We kind of we're kind of just like a fly on the wall watching people and what's going on in this in this uh, resort. Um, I, I didn't I didn't understand. Any of it. I know there's a lot of themes that I missed. This is a movie that you're probably going to have to see three or four times to really get and understand what this director is going for. Or any of the, uh, you know, deep metaphors that he's trying to make and the things he's trying to say about, you know, old age and sex and everything in between that. Um, so it's, it's it was way too it was way too complicated for me in terms of uh, the the themes that he was trying to. Uh, to make come across it, I, something that I, I don't get on the first or second viewing. Uh, and again, I only saw this one, so maybe it's, it's my fault that I didn't try try it again, but it just was too convoluted for me. Uh, completely. 
to me whatsoever. Um, people are going to say that it's uh, a beautiful film because of that. But all right, what's your uh, what's your grade? This is, uh, yeah, this is a uh, C. A C. All right. Uh, last, we have Joy. Two of you see that saw this. I didn't see it. What do you think, Cody? Uh, you know what? It's it's interesting because I seem to be way higher on this movie than uh, a lot of other people are. Um, I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it's it's maybe I think you're cutting it. You're you're cutting way out, Kiko. Anyway, <laughs> as he fades uh, into the digital ether, <laughs> turning into Lucy, turning into a hard drive. Uh, <laughs> She's downloading herself. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, look, I mean, first of all, Jennifer Lawrence is great in this. Again, when is she not great? But she's she was she's really great uh, in this film, and and I think that above all else, it's a really nice little female empowerment movie where you see this woman who, you know, is is the backbone of her family, and she's doing everything for everyone else, and then finally she decides to make something of herself. And it's sort of the rags to riches type story, um, obviously of the woman who who uh, created the miracle mop, and um, a lot of elements work really well. Specifically, um, there's a uh, there's a storyline that happens with QVC um, where she sells her product on QVC, and all of that stuff is really interesting. I find the development of the product stuff interesting. Um, there's a few things that don't work great. Um, but uh like some of the de niro stuff is is kind of average though some of it works well um ultimately for me i was i was entertained by it and i thought it was pretty pretty good um it's getting it's getting trash but i i i think that it's it's the easiest to crack into of any of david o russell's films with jennifer lawrence in them i know kiko may disagree with that but um for me this is uh this is a little bit lighter than something like silver linings playbook and it's a little less divisive for me than something like American Hustle, which I could not crack into. Um, but uh, for me, it's a good it's a it's a good bounce back from American Hustle, and uh, and and I I was I was pretty entertained by it. I think it's a like I said, a good female empowerment, good message film, and uh, I like. Broad it. should be making mops to clean up the messes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like we're hearing uh, a tape I recording. Like the American, I, I definitely like the better than American Hustle. <laughs> You're barely there. It's like an old tape. But we can we say that uh, you liked it better than American Hustle? Um, you did like it better than American Hustle. Can you hear me? It's it's really bad. I don't know where you are, but it's let's, really let's, bad. Let's cut to Kylo Ren for our next interview. <laughs> we have a whole. It's a it's a hologram of uh, Princess Leia from the first movie. That's <laughs> just degraded. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what? Just give us your grade, Kiko. We you're, we're going to lose you here. I'm, I'm going to give this a B minus. B minus. Uh, yeah, everybody that, that I know that's seen this has thought it was better than the than the reviews that I've read. Yeah, and I would give it. I would. I would almost go. I think I might go up to a B plus on this. I, I, Look at I you. Like Look at you. All right, uh, that's going to do it for this week. Next week is the Revenant finally opening next week. No, that opens on the eighth. I actually don't think we have anything next week. Oh well, then we may just uh, take a break then. Uh, all right, so if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can call us at 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. Find us on Twitter at Cinesnob or on Facebook at Cinesnob Critic. You know what we could do, Jared, is we could do a top ten episode next week. We could do that because we got to turn those in to Kiko if he can hear us. 
Um, so yeah. Oh, okay. Let's plan for it. Let's plan for a top ten list. Top ten show next week. Hopefully. Uh, why do we? Why do we, Let's not stop at ten, guys. Let's go to thirty. Oh god. Okay. Top top thirty. I can't. I I'm I'm having trouble with a top ten this year. Yeah, me too. Um. Anyway, so yeah, let's uh, look forward to that next week. Uh, anything else you want to add? You want to plug that podcast again one more time, Cody? Yeah, if you guys can go check out uh, In Session Film on iTunes and Stitcher and all that stuff. It's the extra film episode. Um, I've, uh, the host of it is named J.D. Duran, and out of and he's out of Kentucky. Uh, really good show. I had a really J.D. Duran out of Kentucky. Looks good this year. Yeah, the Kentucky outfit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, on that note, I'm Jerry Kingery. And I am Cody Viafania. And this is Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.